Welcome to the CIO podcast on Healthcare IT Today. I'm John Lynn, the founder and chief editor at Healthcare IT Today, and I'm excited to bring you the most practical healthcare CIO insights and perspectives. We know your job is challenging, and we want to help you be more successful. Today's guest is Pamela Banshee. She's the CIO and VP of Clinical Informatics at Western Reserve Hospital. Welcome, Pam. Thank you very much, John. So glad to be here. Yeah, so I'm excited to hear your perspective. I think you have some really unique perspectives, but before we kind of dive into the questions, tell us a little bit about yourself and Western Reserve Hospital. Sure, be happy to. Well, I am a nurse professionally trained. I've been a nurse for 38 years. Um, I earned my way into the healthcare space after about 14 years, um, and I have been in healthcare IT ever since. Um, I have been the chief information officer at Western Reserve Hospital for the past eight years. Wow. No, that's awesome. And I think that's what's going to be really interesting is hearing that nurse perspective. But I think it's also interesting, you know, the size and the the setup of Western Reserve Hospital. So how has your job as CIO really been impacted by working at a physician-owned community hospital, Western Reserve Hospital? It's a wonderful experience. Um, I have had the opportunity and the pleasure to work in other non-physician-owned healthcare organizations. And I think the collaboration between physicians and nurses in general um, is very strong and making it very easy in my role as a chief information officer to collaborate with the physicians. Um, The goals and the quality um, aspect of the the delivery of care along with implementing technology and change uh, makes that a lot easier. Um, Again, patient safety, our mission is all focused very collaboratively on doing the right things for the patient. So I think it's very easy. I think it's interesting that it's physician owned, but I think it's a for-profit hospital as well, which, so it's interesting. You focus on quality, but you also have to focus on profits, which uh, that must be an interesting uh, discussion sometimes as you, as you evaluate different initiatives. Yeah, it can be. Uh, But again, I think my experience in the time that I've been there is, is very logical perspective. So the technology has a presence in healthcare obviously. And so as the, the needs change for healthcare, the technology adaptation needs to happen as well. Uh, I have been fully supported with myself and my department through the financial journey, if you will, of understanding what it costs to continue to have that high quality care um, that we strive to do and that we're very successful at. Yeah. And there's something to say, I mean, with more profits, you can accomplish your mission better. So I think there's, there's a balance that always has to go on there. I think that's absolutely true. Yeah. I think it is challenging as a community hospital. I mean, I think many of the community hospitals out there are, are really struggling. So what's your take on, you know, are these community hospitals sustainable and how do you look at like partnerships with these larger systems uh, going forward? Is that going to be important or how do you see that playing out for a community hospital? As a community hospital, you know, obviously smaller Um, and where we are in Northeast Ohio and in the state of Ohio, there are still very viable, sustainable community hospitals. Uh, And we are one of those. Uh, We did recently enter into a, an affiliation with university hospitals at Cleveland um, and the purpose and the, and the goals that we mutually have is for patients and developing various service lines for our communities. Um, we are not a tertiary referral center. Uh, we are full service, uh, but the collaboration efforts with University Hospitals of Cleveland will allow us to gain efficiencies for our patients and our patient-centered um, care between the organizations in a close community. 
So it's very, we're very much looking forward to that relationship. Well, it seems like that would be a requirement, right? Uh, otherwise your patients might look other directions or, I mean, or at least you wouldn't be able to provide the care for them. Is that, is that how you kind of look at it is like, we can't support this many service lines. So we need these partnerships. Yeah, certainly there is collaborative efforts. And as you mentioned there, we are full service, but there are service lines that we currently don't provide as a community hospital. And that's where partnering with a larger hospital um, in a, a relationship will certainly benefit both organizations from a collaborative perspective, but primarily the patients. They can obtain services that's high quality in both organizations in a very um, closer proximity, if you will, because the geographic location of, of the facilities and where treatment is offered for individual needs of patients um, is very specific. So this will at least you know, allow that collaboration to happen. Yeah. Has it allowed you to be able to be more collaborative from an interoperability standpoint as well? It seems like that would be something patients would really want to see because they're probably going to the larger hospital if you don't offer that service anyways. And the ability to interoperate that data and things like that, are, are you exploring those options as well? Very much so. Interesting that you say that because that is just where we're embarking on our relationship. So from the technology perspective and keeping the patient focus centered, but how do you exchange information between organizations that are disparate? You have disparate information systems and you have the patient focus. So right now we are getting uh, engaged with the uh, university hospitals on a collaborative tools, both to and from our organizations for information sharing, interoperability, as you mentioned it, and then how can we you know, make that efficient for the patient. Because at the end of the day, it's, it, it is all about the patient making sure that the right information is in the hands of the provider at the time of treatment. Yeah, that's great. So let's talk about your nurse perspective. I think it's not very often, at least for me, you know, maybe you know some others that I'd love some intros, but it's not often yeah. that we see nurses become CIOs. <laughs> Do you think you know more nurses should become CIO, and and what unique perspectives do you really offer with your nursing background? You know, I'm very fortunate in that I did not wake up one day and decide that my career path was going to be a CIO. Yeah. And so, um, I guess you know, to jump right to lessons learned for anybody who is in healthcare and has leadership attributes and, and interests, you know, when opportunities come up, don't hesitate to take advantage of them. And, you know, and that's exactly what happened for myself. I moved into a management position, then I went into IT, and then it just as every opportunity came, I took advantage of it. I think having a clinical nursing background definitely positions anyone to be excellent in the role of a chief information officer. I was uh, hesitant to enter into this role um, because of my lack of formal technical training. And I focused on my leadership attributes, if you will, and my training and I surrounded myself, and I still surround myself with people who can do the job that I can't or shouldn't from the technical perspective. So it's really about the leadership, and it's also about understanding and communicating, collaborating with physicians and nurses and any healthcare team members, because that really is the key to the role. It's communication, it's listening, it's putting the patient first, um, and that really, I think, was very easy for me as I went through, and I'm still, you know, functioning in a nursing capacity, but you learn to listen, you understand what the patients are going through, and you also understand what the care team is going through. So there's empathy on the part of how I believe I execute my job and understanding what the priorities are and how to remove those roadblocks and also to educate my team who might not have that 
experience themselves, but more of a technical, I believe that I can translate that and transform that for them as well. Yeah, I mean, you obviously have some unique leadership skills, but I, I find it fascinating that you said you were hesitant about that. I, I have a feeling there's many nurses out there that probably mm-hmm. feel the same way. And, 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 you know, I think there might be some gender challenges here as well, right? Mm-hmm. Where, you know, we've seen the same issue in, in many jobs and careers or even speaking engagements for our conferences. We ask a, a man to speak and they say, sure, of course, you know, whether they're qualified or not. Right. And then I've often asked women to speak and they're like, well, let me check and think, you know, and I'm like, why are you hesitant? You know, like I already, mm-hmm. I asked you because I knew you were qualified. Right. And, yeah. and, you know, and there's certainly some other dynamics at a conference, but do you think some of that contributed to the hesitancy is kind of maybe some of those gender issues as well? Um, it could be. I mean, I did all of the um, or previous jobs that I had, the CIOs were all men, um, but there were two specific professional organizations. That's the other thing that I would say, you know, if anybody is thinking about it, join Chime, join, you know, hymns, et cetera, because the leadership and the collaboration in those groups. Um, when I joined those organizations, I initially took a little bit of a passive role, uh, but through some examples and mentors that I quickly um, affiliated with and became friends with, it became clear to me that it's gender agnostic, as long as you can do the job. Um, and then again, following up on the leadership, but there are, you know, through uh, professional organizations, the mentoring, I did find a couple of very strong mentors um, that helped me to continue to feel that confidence in order for me to uh, move forward. So I'm very confident today. That's, that's great advice. And, uh, and uh, I, hopefully people listening to this will inspire some other people to, to have the confidence you did and, and be brave. So thank you for sharing that. Sure. Um, you know, we can't have a conversation without a little COVID, right? So what are some of the challenges you've had to navigate during COVID and, and how do you do it given some of the budget constraints you have, you know, as a community hospital, you know, physician owned for-profit, you know, how, how have you approached it and what are some of the challenges you've had? Yeah, I think um, we were very similar. We are very similar to a lot of other organizations. Our number one challenge initially was being able to have our patients communicate effectively um, with their family members. And so one of the things we got very creative um, and we went out and purchased iPads and iPad minis and we made those available to our patients. And we were able to install Zoom on those devices and allow the physicians and the family members to actually communicate. Um, And that was a big um, positive for our patient population and our visitors. And so it was not um, a lot of effort. It wasn't a big lift, if you will. Um, but that was one of the quick, quick wins that we had. That's awesome. And do you see that going forward, that that's going to become part of the fabric of the organization? Or how, how do you see telehealth and, and those efforts playing out longer term? Yeah, so telehealth was another big lift with COVID along with the remote workforce. Those were two other areas that quickly uh, became apparent that we had to mobilize forces. Um, the other thing I will I will share is almost everybody uh, dealt with the same thing: is how do you mobilize um, the yeah. forces, if you will, and get things? You know, we moved a workforce to remote um, locations in a very short turnaround time. 
that put strain on resources, that put strain on how do we get equipment. And so we had to get very creative with that. And that was to meet the demand. Um, telemedicine, our um, percentage of use of telemedicine, our patient population and our physicians uh, was low, uh, very low initially. And then it quickly went you know, above 50%. Uh, we're somewhere sustaining a level that I think is a comfort level for both the providers and the patients. Patients are still hesitant in some degree to come into the office for a visit. So telehealth still has a presence. I think that's going to be sustainable going forward uh, as well. The remote workforce remains uh, working remote. Those that have been working for almost a year now uh, will continue to, to work remotely as well. We also recently are a vaccination center. So we have been able to um, operationalize, if you will, um, vaccination clinics for not only our employees, but for our community. Um, and that's been a very big um, collaborative effort across the organization. Do you think that the remote workforce is going to help you with the recruiting side of things as well? Because I've heard from a lot of community hospitals yes. that you know, it's like, how do I hire someone because they don't want to move where we're at? You know, so yeah. are you going to leverage that in your recruiting efforts? Um, we're, we're looking, we're evaluating it. We do have some requirements that, you know, from a preference perspective to have people available to come in because we sure. think there's truly benefits to having face-to-face -face meetings and conversations, et cetera. But we recently had a position posted and, uh, within a very short period of time, we had 24 candidates apply. Uh, it was in the security space. Right. Um, and they were people from five or six different States and they were very interested in remote workforce. Unfortunately, we weren't able to move forward with that uh, opportunity. There's, there's many variables for that. Uh, we were able to successfully hire from within the state of Ohio, but yes, it, it is out there. It's funny you say security. That's the number one biggest, most challenging <laughs> recruitment effort of a CIO, I think, because there's just yes. not enough talent out there. Yes, that is, that's what, you know, security used to keep me up at night, not that it doesn't anymore, uh, but I, again, have been very fortunate to have the support of the organization, the president, the CEO, and the CFO um, to allow me to develop a security program that is continuing to strengthen who we are and what we are from a standpoint of security. Um, it's not really a matter of, you know, if it happens to you, if, if you were to have a security incident, it's a matter of when. And again, the talent is out there. It's very difficult to find good talent. The tools are out there. Um, and the, the cybersecurity aspect of the job um, has definitely increased. And that's one of the areas where, you know, hiring good talent um, to keep you strong as an organization to protect your assets and your patient information assets um, is key. So, you know, as a CIO, one of the things that um, needs to continue to evolve is, um, information gathering as to the trends, keeping up yeah. with the trends and the technologies project. I'm also a certified project manager. So balancing all those balls, if you will, uh, in the air and making sure that you can do the best that you can with the resources that you have and the time that you have to get things done. So well, it's, it's an art form. Yeah. It's great that you were able to get the board's support for security. I know some that are still struggling with that. Was that something you had to do proactively or was it just the, you know, rising number of ransomware incidents and downtimes, et cetera, it kind of got your board's attention or was it a mix of the two? Yeah, I think it was a mix of the two, but, you know, primarily we, we do our due diligence around security. 
So, you know, every year we do a gap analysis. We use okay. a security risk assessment tool, which is provided by the government, which is very in-depth and detailed. And we take the results of that and we look at the gaps and we say, oh, wow, you know, when you do an internal analysis of your own, and you have the right resources internally to say, I think this is where our focus needs to be and this is why. And again, it's managing and monitoring the trends and where are the cyber criminals? Where are they targeting? You know, are they targeting you know, phishing campaigns? Are they targeting the network? Are they targeting you know, all the above? And then you look at where you have gaps, if you will, in protection needs. And then that's when you put your plan together. And so, um, yeah, understanding where we were and where we wanted to be um, was really a, an asset to be able to take that forward and to get the, both the, the board and the backing of our executive team and financial support, so. Awesome, and so did you just do that internally uh, with yes. the tool from the government? That's impressive. Yes. Uh, you know, sometimes it's also hard for people to stare themselves in the face and, and be honest. <laughs> well, I think, <laughs> I, I think you do need to be honest and I think it doesn't do anybody any good yeah. to not look at your own self. Um, it's, I think, sometimes harder to have others look at you, to be honest with you, um, because then, then, then it's a matter of, well, I don't think we look that bad. I don't think we have those problems. So, you know, when we really allow and trust ourselves to be very transparent, that's another thing. The culture at Western Reserve Hospital is, is all about supportive and being transparent. Um, and so, you know, through the transparency, of being able to put it out there in front of the organization that this is where I think we really need to spend our time, our money, and these are the tools that we need to do. Um, there was a lot of support for that and trust. A beautiful lesson around supporting transparency and being supportive rather than punitive, which uh, yes. is how I would describe some organizations. Yes. Yeah, that's great. Um, so what's been, you know, key to your success as CIO? Uh, you know, are there some key attributes you think that you're like, yeah, this has helped me become successful? I would say um, listening, number one, uh, being attentive to the, the needs around you and the needs of your team. Um, and I, I had somebody uh, in one of my previous jobs said, you know, don't be an office leader, you know, getting out being around people, understanding what their challenges are. Empathy, I think that certainly um, helps provide the support and understanding as well. So, you know, active listening, put yourself in their shoes, um, being able to depersonalize the situations and the, the struggles because there's frustrations uh, with trying to deliver the best care that you can. So the clinical staff and the supportive staff, they're frustrated in their day-to-day. -day. So you know, just taking a step back and understanding what the real issue is, is very helpful. It's all about the humans, not the technology, huh? <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's collaboration. Yeah. You know, I mean, open collaboration and discussions. So what advice would you give someone? I know you've given a bunch of uh, great pieces of advice here, but anything you'd share with other CIOs and or any, maybe even some aspiring CIOs and maybe some aspiring female CIOs who want to be like you and or maybe some aspiring nurses. <laughs> I yeah. think there's a lot of people who, uh, who uh, would look at you as an inspiration. So any, any thoughts of advice of things they could do or, you know, even maybe some that are already CIOs as well? Yeah. First, I would say be confident believe in yourself, know yourself, know your strengths, know where your opportunities are. And if you have a passion 
um, to be in healthcare as an executive and a leader, then you should pursue that actively and surround yourself with people who are who compliment you and that can help make you better and make your whole organization better through collaboration and um, learning from each other. I have learned so much from my team on the technical side that I didn't know. You just, I just learned that by uh, life experiences. And so I respect and appreciate them very much. And I thank them um, for what they have taught me because they've been patient with me through my learning journey. So, you know, it's out there. So don't be afraid to go get it. Yeah. I find it fascinating that you said, find people that compliment you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think you, you probably meant it as that compliment your skill set, but I think maybe there's a double meaning of people that will compliment you, that will support you, that will have your back, that will help you understand and have the confidence. Is that, is that true? Is that a good double meaning or no? Yeah, no, it's very true. And so, you know, you, you have to be, you know, I, we work, you know, uh, and interact with people probably what 80% of the time. And so, you know, there's work families and there is truth to having a work family. You know, whether that's your peers, your team that you lead, your colleagues that work beside you. And so, you know, understanding and developing those trust and those collaborations, um, I think, is is a very big, significant, you know, part of the job. And so, you know, having those and surrounding yourself with those people as well. They know you, you know them and you complement each other. Um, I certainly know who on my team I can rely on in certain certain situations because they complement me. If yeah. I'm not strong in an area, I will certainly bring them in. So, yeah, yes, it's both. I was interacting with a friend who said, how do you deal with imposter syndrome? And my, my reply was, I surround me with people who believe in me more than I believe in myself. No, <laughs> that that's helps. very good. That's <laughs> so, true. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be very true. Excellent. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to sit down with us, Pam. This was a really educational uh, episode. And thanks, everyone, for watching and listening. We appreciate all your support of the CIO podcast on Healthcare IT Today. If you want to find more great health IT content like this, be sure to check it out at healthcareittoday.com. Thanks, Pam. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, John. I appreciate it.